0: tim joyce you're here hey hey hey. it's wednesday
1: <laughs> what number are we on
0: you know i i literally had it we we're meticulously slam produced the only thing i have on this paper is this is episode number 100
1: we made it <laughs> just talking to ourselves and what other person we rope into
0: <laughs> bingo and and you know the the funny thing is it's kind of like a hundred seems like this milestone but if you think in years you know uh, mm. do we celebrate one of four as well right 52 weeks i don't know two That's two right. years of yep. recording you know we yeah. can we can do whatever the hell we want to do so yeah um you know i uh, i've been spending just a, a quick side note so i hopefully see you in Barcelona. Next week, and as many, many, many others coming in for Health Excel. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Mar- Marty kind of tagged me on something. I, I've been somewhat addicted in my spare time to health tech nerds. So Kevin O'Leary, okay. it started as a newsletter. So for those okay. who uh, don't know, it's, it's a great Slack channel. Yes, you have to pay for it, but it's well, in, in my mind, well worth the money. So uh, I've just been okay. spending a lot of time and I went to the funding section. There was only like one new... F- funding uh, around 10 mil for, I don't remember the company to be honest, but um, okay. you know, we, we're, you know, they're, you know, health tech nerds is now competing somewhat with uh, Matthew Holt and Jess.
1: For, for me, right, I, don't right, right. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But gonna... they, they, get, they have a lot more deals than that. Every week they get loads. No, of deals. I know. I'm, I'm kind of just busting on those
0: two. I, <laughs> I still enjoy seeing the faces and uh, it does not substitute. But um, but speaking of yeah. funding, um, why don't we let our guest in? Um, Excellent. Uh, we're uh, So Morgan and I never actually met. Uh, we've been kind of stalking each other somewhat on social media. And great. Uh, welcome, welcome to the shot, Morgan, Morgan, Jim, Jim, Morgan. I'm Eugene. Hey, Morgan. Know- hey,
1: Jim. Great to, great to meet you. Great to meet you. Great to meet you. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday.
0: I was, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I know your face, but I, I was just telling Jim as I was letting you in, I think it's just more of stalking, you know, each other on social media. And I came across uh, your Medium <laughs> post, which was great. And I'm like, hey, this is what our listeners would love to hear. And, 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 and you know, here you are. A random Wednesday, so thanks for the flexibility. Thank you, thank you both so much for having me. You're actually catching me about an hour
2: after one of my uh, med school exams, so we'll see if my brain is still sharp. Um, oh my gosh! But what was well, the subject? What was yeah, the subject? It was so it's actually a timely subject. We we're learning about infectious diseases and and also mm-hmm. uh, specifically uh, bacterial disease. So uh, if you have any questions about antibiotics, in theory, I should be able to answer them for you.
0: In theory, we We, won't put you on the spot. I was gonna say, well, especially since you went through a test, we're not gonna put you through another one. So this this is meticulously unproduced. produced.
2: In in theory,
0: this is also the shot of digital health. I just you know stop drinking, but typically you can just even take a shot if you want. So if if, you know, I know it's probably middle of the day. But for the millions of listeners and viewers, uh, tell us who Morgan is and a little background and how you got to where you are, Bessemer, background, MD, candidate, lots of stuff. Fantastic. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you again for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take it from the top. Um, so I am from D.C. originally, I grew up right outside the nation's capital. It was a pretty sweet experience because I got to be really close to when really important decisions were made. I have many fond memories of standing outside the Supreme Court as a kid waiting for, for different rulings and wow. Uh, wow. every field trip going to different, you know, museums, so definitely took advantage of that. And I think, you know, one thing that really shaped me growing up in DC was actually the absence of, of the tech sector um, at the time, you know, this was the early 2000s and, you know, the absence of a true, you know, financial sector. Um, I grew up knowing that there were only a couple things you could be when you want to grow up. It was like, you could work for the government, which both my parents did, which De fact it right. meant I had no interest whatsoever. Right, uh,
1: right. You could be a Don't teacher. Don't follow the parents' footsteps, right? <laughs> Were they in the CIA?
2: <laughs> I wish. Dad uh, both- <laughs> <laughs> worked for the EPA, so that was a career-long uphill battle, as you can imagine. Okay.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: Yeah. Lots. Lots of budget cuts. Um, but um, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, teacher, lawyer. And uh, reading never came naturally to me. I always loved science and math. So I was like, all right, I got to be a doctor. That's like what people do around here. And so tried to just find the fastest way to go from A to B, to go from high school to becoming a doctor and looked at some of these kind of combined programs. Um, Brown had one where you could go do your undergrad and then just kind of go right to medical school with no MCAT. And that, that seemed really attractive to me, having just finished the SAT and all the other tests they put you through and a uh, common okay. theme in my life uh, in, in school. This- Um, So anyway, showed up at Brown and the the beauty of this program was really that, you know, I was 18 and had kind of this acceptance in my back pocket and could kind of explore all of the other things that uh, came to mind for me. And uh, I'd always been into stocks. And so I kind of went down the finance path. Everyone else is trying to work at this place called Goldman. So it seemed like a place (laughs) could want to work at, too. And um,
0: (laughs) they're still around. No, I'm kidding. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, spent a summer there and, and, and learned I'm actually probably the shittiest investment banker to ever grace Wall Street. So I knew that wasn't going to be for me. <laughs> it's a pretty is-
1: shitty ones there. That's a very low bar. <laughs> yeah.
2: I wasn't good at spotting the like double spaces on the PowerPoint and I <laughs> right. just couldn't, couldn't do it. Um, but it was transformative experience. And uh, uh, ultimately, you know, we had an opportunity to intern at Kairos, which is actually, uh, I was a brown physician who started that company in the provider data management space. Um, and also founded by uh, Julie Yu, who's now a partner um, right. at, at Anderson and uh, just fell in love. This was probably, you know, early, I, I, maybe it was 2014, 2015, when, when digital health was still a blip on, on the radar, right? Um, and right. what wasn't even, a you know, a billion dollars really of investment pouring into the category. And so, so spend some time with the Kairos folks. I'm giving you all the long version. Um, yeah, we got great. time. Love we're it.
0: chilling. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy
2: fell in love with the team. So I started skipping class and just working at Kairos all the time. I was commuting from Providence to Boston and just loved being on the team, loved being in a startup, loved the energy. Um, and I remember at the time Graham was raising the Series B for the company and there were all these fancy investors who were coming in and we were supposed to act extra hardworking on the days that they were touring the office. <laughs> <laughs> this was back when you used to actually do diligence in venture capital and you'd actually go to a company's office and, and meet people every right. time, right? Uh- how does that
0: happen in the virtual world now at all? I mean, I obviously there's right. you know D D S and all of that, but uh, but but you're right, right? Seeing seeing it live, the the energy and and the people, yeah. it's it's kind of you know. Do you like zoom into the meetings now? But you know, it, it,
2: as an aside, it's super hard to get a sense of company culture now because you're just zoom to zoom with different executives on the teams and. You don't really right. get to go grab coffee with you know the head of engineering and 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 meet the developers and it's just it's a little bit of a a, a pastime and I, I hope it comes back with all of our travel now but I I do miss that that aspect and a lot of our companies are remote now so there's really yeah. where would we you know where would we where go?
1: where do you go right where do you go you just kind of hang out in the in the ether the you know, Bill Toronto had the best example remember like the beginning of the pandemic he made his first you know you must know Bill Toronto right he's one of the you know one of the large global um, digital health investors through Merck's, you know, uh, GHI, Merck's fund. Glo- Global Health yeah, Innovation G- Fund. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But uh, he's a bud of ours. And he talked about early on at the beginning of the pandemic, he made his first investment without meeting the team. And it was, I think it was, a I, I think it was this company he didn't know at the time, but I think I know now is Parcel Shields. Um, but they um, they shipped, they were doing cold shipping and they put a popsicle inside a uh, a box and then mailed it, and then you know and then they open they you know the VC firm opened up the popsicles and handed it around and that was their diligence. Oh, that was part of their diligence. I, I'm assuming there's a few more spreadsheets. <laughs> I don't remember involved. that
0: story? I, I, but anyway. That's
1: story. <laughs> Anyways, back to you.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I won't speak to how much diligence was done in uh, you know 2021, but you, you we'll talk about the market at some point. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. We have to, uh, by nature, we have to. Uh, yeah, I'm just kidding. So. Um, yeah, so, so long story short, so fell in love with the Kairos team, you know, was spending a bunch of time in digital health and ultimately kind of pulled up my senior year and said, look, I'm, I just can't see myself putting my head down for the next four years and being in the books when it seems like this ecosystem is just blossoming, you know, right in front of me. I got to be in the action. And so um, I randomly bumped into a partner from Bessemer who came to Brown to judge an entrepreneurship uh, competition. It was, okay. random. it was a class that I had taken at Brown where I was, I was TAing with uh, Danny Warshak. And he's got this famous class at Brown um, on, on entrepreneurship as a, as a practice. And okay. uh Kent Bennett, who's a partner of Bessemer, came by, was super generous with his time, was giving feedback on the pitches. And I just asked him if you know Bessemer was hiring, <clears throat> ever hired junior folks. And at this time I actually had thought Bessemer was only a healthcare fund, which is hilarious. Right. Um right. Because obviously we've got like this huge cloud practice that I just so zoned in on healthcare. And one thing led to another. And within three weeks, I kind of deferred med school, told them I was ready to join and um, and was super excited to get to work with Steve Krause. And you know, the only other thing that's kind of interesting about my background is I've been following Steve, who's my, my current partner now for most of undergrad. I mean, I just kind of stalked the guy around Boston. Right. The time he was talking, I had to be there. I had to ask him a question and had emailed him a bunch of times. But um, it was finally Kent who got me through, and, and it's kind of a joke we have in the Boston office now. Um, and so, yeah, the rest was kind of history.
0: Well, right. Awesome, St- Steve. Actually, now that I remember, because uh, we were just chatting uh, before we let you in about Health Excel gathering that's happening in Barcelona next week, and Steve did an interview when uh, when Health Excel was also doing the podcast. I know they're still doing them a bit, but they interviewed Steve. That was a great one. I, I never right. met it was him. A but really I got good to one. know him kind of virtually through that podcast. Uh, yeah. As many of the listeners will get to know you as well now. So,
1: yeah, he's but got a podcast
2: too. Uh, he's got one called The Healthy dips So
0: yeah that
1: sounds good that sounds it sounds professionally produced Eugene yeah unlike
0: <laughs> us unlike us that's for sure <laughs> for sure and and um uh, I also noticed your uh limited partner and another fund um of some sort maybe talk a little bit about that how you got involved with it uh, a bit
2: yeah definitely so um so I've been in the New York tech scene for for most of my career and um, if you're in the New York tech scene, it's likely you've met a guy by the name of Ed Zimmerman, um, who is a partner uh, at Lowenstein. Um, he's a, a brilliant tech lawyer, a, a huge um, um, activist um, for diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech and, and venture capital more broadly. Um, and so it's through Ed, you know, he he was starting a new, a new fund of funds, essentially, um, called First Course Partners. And the whole mandate was really around how can we help diversify uh, the capital yeah. allocators in our industry. Um, and so First Close seeks to be that first check um, into, you know, the new funds uh, founded by emerging managers from underrepresented backgrounds, and awesome. uh, Ed, Ed brought the deck to me. It was, it was a no-brainer. So um, yeah, really excited to be involved. It's, it's pretty hands-off. Ed does all the work, but uh, uh, it's a really special mission, one that's what's dear to my heart.
1: Great. So your practice right now, so, you know, what are you seeing? What are you looking at? You know, what's your um like and how long you've been so you've been doing digital health investments for a couple of years now or
2: yeah coming up on five years now
1: wow wow oh you've seen the real you've seen at, the the real.
0: He, at the heat of the moment um <laughs> yeah. which which maybe be, before we get to the thesis um and okay. and, uh, and 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 morgan and i were you know texting about this it's like ah, oh, you know right. like i get you know just can we stop talking about the valuations well i don't know i get asked about it freaking every day and there's always these hypothetical discussions in a lot of this What's your quick take, right? I mean, hundreds of millions poured in. Uh, Yes, it's a three and a half, four trillion problem to be solved. But um, just always the questions of like, what are the founders signing up for? Where really the scale? And then we start seeing some of the moves that are, again, I don't want to mention company names that are under investigations and all of that. I'll pause. Your thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going
2: to drop that in there
0: at the end, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, threw, Damn, it
1: threw an investigation in at the last minute. <laughs>
2: well, you know, it's timely. We're, we're, we're trying to be contemporary here. So, uh, yeah. so I get it. So, look, I mean, I am obviously a lot of capital has poured into, you know, really all industries under, yeah. you know, that are investable by venture over the last few years. So I, I don't know right. that uh, that digital health is necessarily, uh, uh, you know, it's, right. it's it's not a bubble. Um, you know, I think it's an industry that has historically, only had, you know, certain firms investing in it. And it's, it's been kind of the, the unsexy, you know, category for a long time. And, you know, I think folks, uh, have kind of realized that you don't have to be a doctor, you don't have to be a, a PhD to, to invest in this category. And, and we actually welcome, you know, the perspectives of folks from technology who can bring great ideas into the industry. And so while there are going to be plenty of companies that flame out with this last vintage, there's going to be a lot learned. And there are plenty of folks who are now newly interested in healthcare and life scientists who I think weren't otherwise. So um, I think it's a net positive for, for, for venture. I think it's a net positive for, for patients and um I'm, I'm pretty optimistic when it comes to these things and, and training at bessemer which is a fund that's been around for you know i think you know over 100 years i know for a fact over 100 years i'm not allowed to say that we're the oldest venture fund but i can say that we're that we're the most experienced um uh you know i think we say that great companies are, are built in all markets and so we just continue to invest in the categories and themes that we hope to bring to fruition
1: must be a great time though because evaluations you know like you're you know right? Like if you were catching these things, you know, there's like this, you know, getting a 30, 40% pop. I mean, like fundamentally here, the, this transformation, there's so much work that needs to be done. There's so much work to be done and the quality companies, it's very good. You know what I mean? Like for early stage, um, you know, sector, it can't be perfect, but it's, it's, you know, I would think, I mean, are you seeing really high quality companies?
2: Definitely. I mean, I think the, the sheer volume of company creation in, in digital health in particular has, has skyrocketed over the last few years. And again, I, I point to these new cohorts of talent that are now entering the industry that previously were said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go build an enterprise SaaS company or right. a cyber company. And now folks are waking up and saying, you know, I actually want to work on something where I feel tied to the mission, right? Right. Where I feel like I'm I'm helping people with the technology I'm building. And that's true of other industries, but it couldn't be more true, you know, in right. healthcare. Um, right. Sorry,
0: go ahead. So, No, no, no. I, I was going to just, uh, sorry to interject because I, I just did, a, I recorded, Jim, as I've been, as you know, I'm cheating on you with my professional podcast yep. on digital therapeutics. <laughs> but I, I recorded, <laughs> today was a crazy day. I recorded three just because trying to get ahead of. You oh, know, you did three today? Three, wow. and this is the fourth recording today. So um, oh I like, burnt out myself and I didn't take a medical test. Um, uh, a, 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 a test. test. Um, but, you know, um, your, your, your comment, I mean, it's all around talent. And if I rewind back to kind of my New York days, uh, back to kind of this health 2.0 and that early digital health, health 2.0, and I'm not saying all of them. But there were many still geeks kind of in the, in the garage, for lack of a better term, trying to find it. The new founding team, yes, there's always, a, you know, a technologist that's needed. But like one of the interviews I did today this is a 30-year veteran uh, who, you know, who did pharmaceutical sales, drove business, right. and is doing an amazing job with this digital therapeutic, bringing to market FDA approval. No, you know, so we're now right. seeing that. Uh, and I'm not talking about age here. I'm just talking about, you know, from a experience, disciplinary experiences. The right. teams are coming together. It's just a different, I think, different world a decade later.
2: Totally, I, I couldn't agree more. We we talk a lot about um, this notion of like a multilingual team, right? You've got someone who speaks the clinical medicine, someone who speaks technology, uh, ideally someone who speaks kind of the uh, interstitium between the two, right? Um, this kind of burgeoning field of computational biology. So I'm sure you're spending the morning talking about that, but that's certainly an area that uh, that I'm I'm passionate about and in, in investing in actively. Um, but to close the loop on your questions, I mean, yes, valuations will reset. Are they there today? Are they where they're gonna bottom out today on you know, May 18, 2022, probably not, right? I think we're still seeing at the seed, Series A, Series B stages. Things are still frothy, and hey, the, the best deals are still really? premium. Um, you know, really? I think over the next 12, 24 months, we'll start to see you know the private valuations come down, see that right. spread between what's happening in publics, you know, start to mm. uh, start to uh, narrow. Um, and this is just ba- this is just based on historical data. Look, I'm 26, so in my career, it's only been up into the right. <laughs> um, I, I don't say macroeconomist usually because um, I stick to what I know. But uh, you know, talking to my colleagues uh, at Bessemer and in the industry who've kind of been through this before, if you will, uh, you know, definitely say it, it takes a little while for it to all wash. But
1: you've had in your in your career, which sounds really fascinating, is you've had pandemics and wars, and you know, <laughs> lots going on. Hi. There's Hi. a kind of a learn. You know, what does they be thrown into the fire? Hey, man,
0: wh-
1: whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Thick skin yeah. uh, through, through, through the soul. I, I think that's really interesting. I'd like to just dig into that like a little bit. Like when I think of, you know, and I think myself, like when I, I remember when I started my first company and and people would ask me saying, oh, you know, I was 35 or 36 at the time. And, you know, I haven't aged since then. So I'm a little slightly older than that. Um, but you're going the, in reverse, Jim. Yeah, I'm in reverse. I'm like Benjamin Button. The, um, the. <laughs> <laughs> but the people would ask me saying, hey, you know, you know, at the time I'm in Ireland and people didn't leave big permanent pensionable jobs very often to go start up companies. They were doing it in the States. It was becoming very fashionable. It wasn't always the case, but it was a little bit fashionable, it was not fashionable in Ireland. And people would say, you know, and then later on, when it started, becoming, you know, why did you wait so long? And I was under the impression I didn't, I didn't go out one day, you know, too early, you know what I mean? Like I was like, because I needed, when I thought about the sophistication that I, you know, and I, I'm, you know, someone's like, well, Zuckerberg did it. Well, I'm not, I'm not Zuckerberg, you know, <laughs> like, 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 you know, the, and, but even if you think about the sophistication in healthcare, the number of things that you have to keep straight, because even if you're, your multilingual example, you have to be able to interpret all those languages, you know, as if you're going as a CEO or the founder, or you have to have a co-founder that between the two of you, you can run regulatory, you can run software development, you can run, you know, um, uh, healthcare service provisions, and you can do all the stuff that these SaaS companies need to do, business models, you know, integration of it.
0: And Jim, for you, don't forget hardware. <laughs> yeah, and then
1: I've thrown in hardware, like HealthSpeak in my company is, you know, we have a hardware device that goes into the home and you have usability and Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) but I would know who you think, Eugene, I mean, like, I think the skill set, like you're going like, you know, like, you know, other than you, Morgan, you know, what, you know, 25-year-old gets printed with all that skill set, you know, like it'd be like the genetic code or something that you would.
2: (laughs) I think what's useful about the history, though, if you you look at it, this is one thing that I love about, you know, being in a generalist firm like Bessemer is, um, in healthcare, you kind of have every other industry under this broader umbrella, right? So like we have fintech, that's healthcare, right. we have insure tech, we have cybersecurity, right. and it's all healthcare specific for a lot of the reasons you cited around the regulatory complexity um, kind of the environment we're operating in, right? The actual services we have to provision. Um, and so uh, to your point, though these companies require a lot of interdisciplinary skill sets, I think a lot of folks that are outside of healthcare, again, are coming in because they've, they've got the foundational perspective right. from what's worked really well in consumer and how do we adapt that to you know patient engagement, it just takes a little bit of, of tuning on appreciating the complexities of healthcare and kind of, I really think it's about empathy, if anything, like the folks that come into the industry that seem to do the best are the ones that kind of come in with, a, with an empathy-centered approach. But um, uh, to, to your point, I think that there's a lot of these uh, connection points that help onboard people.
1: Right. You know, and it's also it's, it's such a network. I, mean, I think the young entrepreneurs, Eugene, like know, like, who do you know that like the young ones that have kind of cracked it? I think the bioformist guy, oh. I mean it's you. No, I think the bioformist guys, you know, um, I don't know how old cool Deep is, to be honest. He's young. I mean, 30 or something like that. But you know, I'm trying to think of who are the ones that have really in the digital healthcare space that have really cracked it, right? Like had either the big capital or
0: uh, I mean, you know, J- Julia from Everly Well. I mean, there's there's plenty, I think. Julia from started, where? Uh, well, what's the new name? Uh, I know they changed the name after the acquisition uh, from Everly Well, the diagnostics company. Uh, okay. Julia, Cheek, Julia Cheek, just as an example, right? I mean, right. Um, so there, there's, I think there's still plenty. Uh, jo, uh, Joe uh, Visana Health, right? I mean, Rhodes young.
1: Um, right.
0: So I, I think, you know, we, we're we seeing, I, I think we're seeing
1: awesome entrepreneurs. Yeah. So if we ran a maybe. Oh, have I'm, I'm only analysts. like.
0: I, I was gonna say I'm only like a year older than Joe, but no.
1: <laughs> we we run you know, like one of your analysts could run the analysis and be like, you know, is is the fi- is the digital healthcare entrepreneur five years older than the tech entrepreneur? You know, I don't know. I'd say, yeah.
2: And I, I think it cuts a lot of ways. Like you know, age is an interesting uh, parameter. I think diversity is also an interesting parameter. Like in healthcare, we're building for the population, so. Right. Ideally, our team should very much mirror the population we're serving. I'm an investor in a company called Folks Health, which is serving the LGBTQ yep. community, and uh, I can tell you, like from the from the executive team on down, like that is a company that is um been built with a lot of intention and in making sure the community is represented. I look at companies like Spora Health, you know, primary care for the Black community. Um, I get really excited about this. If if you actually take a step back and this is I looked at a report recently um by LendingTree about this that you know, looked at industries where business owners generally like not just venture backed business owners, but business owners generally, healthcare is one of the most diverse industries in terms of uh, right. underrepresented business owners, because it's such a, and oftentimes when it's not venture scale, it's such a local business. It's such a community centered business. Right. I think yep. if we could bring some of those um, concepts, you know, to the venture scale side, it, it would be right. great to continue to, to support folks that are building kind of buy us for us models.
0: Honestly, it's amazing. And I think part of the challenge for all healthcare entrepreneurs, um, you know, healthcare is just, I mean, any building, any business is hard, right? And it still takes about a decade, but healthcare is just, I mean, we're talking about humans, right? Human beings. We're talking about, to your point earlier, you know, empathy and feelings, Um, you know, people hurt, they can't get access. They can't, you know, there's just so many, so many things, just so much harder um, so, Jim, I'm I'm impressed that you kept your hair.
1: Um, I don't know. I'm I'm losing mine, but well, this is, um, I don't want to tell you the secret, Morgan. But like, as you get older, i also back to this aging thing or whatever it is, a diversity perspective is like, if you think, you know, you know, like healthcare becomes so, you know, like it just becomes so present in certain points of your life, right? Like all these things, I always feel like. Like that, you know, so, you know, obviously if you're a little bit older, then you're aware of like, you know, how your health might be affected or your, you know, if you're, your cardiovascular condition or if with women, it's like, you know, pregnancy, or we had someone on that was talking about kind of premenopausal, kind of, uh, uh, we had a, that one company that on that was targeting the specific segments. So like healthcare is one of these things where it feels like the founders, um, every founder, you know, like every founder story in most cases, they came at it from some kind of empathetic, you know, environmental context, so they could really relate to it. Even if they were young MIT scientists, yeah. they could relate to it because of their parents or because of their circumstances. Like it's right, I'd say it's 70, 80% have some really powerful personal motivation or story, right, that inspired them.
0: What, what, what I what I get somewhat concerned about, you know, and, and I'd love to get to your piece in Medium a bit too, Morgan, uh, oh, yeah. on kind of, you know, the, the the payer contracting, because this, this is actually to a certain extent, appropriate discussion and leeway, right? Because as you focus on a very particular segment of individuals, right? And you're growing that company, but then what you're hearing upstream as an entrepreneur and both from, you know, payers, health plans, large employers is, well, we're bombarded with so many, you know, so many solutions. And of course, right. even as a large employer or or a payer, um, you have everybody under the sun, right? And so do you contract? And this is why we're going to start seeing, we've been seeing it already, a roll-up of different solutions. And then does that level of personalization get lost, right? And again, not to get philosophical, but I'm kind of curious on your thinking on this as well.
2: Yeah. um, I'm so glad, Eugene, that you brought this topic up because it's one that uh, we talk about a lot internally and I think about a lot is, you know, we've had Right now, let's just be clear. It is easier than ever to start a new medical practice in the U.S., save for if you're doing something complicated with controls given the uh, PHE that we're under and potential changes to Ryan Like It is easier than ever to start a medical practice. It is easier than ever to build a direct-to-consumer interface, to recruit a patient panel, right, and to effectively deliver care online. That's beautiful. And then it spawned this entire ecosystem of companies that can be hyper-specific with the patients they're serving, how they're speaking to those patients, um, the kind of care that they're providing—that's excellent, right? Like healthcare for so long has been a monolith, and 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 yep. that's just not what what we need as, as human beings that are diverse and different and have different needs. Um, at the same time, it's it's created at it just an exorbitant amount of additional fragmentation, as if we didn't have enough. Uh, right. in the industry and and has very much been created, and this isn't for all companies, but. Outside of the traditional provider ecosystem, so your your typical you know independent practice isn't necessarily contracting with Hims to like work collaboratively on someone's you know right. uh, someone's sexual right. health, um, and so I'm a huge believer that we do not need a digital health company for every specialty. We don't need one for every disease, and I think in general. If we look at just the companies that are focused on identity and how identity and um, I'll leave it at identity informs health, and, and we know well documented yep. all of the social and structural determinants that influence our health. I think a lot of those companies back into a specialized primary care model, right? So if you are a Black American in this in this country, and your identity being Black informs your experience of the healthcare system, informs your experience at work. Informs your health and well being overall, then maybe that's something that you want to center and talk about when you go into that physician's office and and talk about how that's making you feel or how it's influencing your health. Same thing, if you're LGBTQ in this country, that might be not always something that comes up every time you go to the doctor because maybe it's talking about specific needs that you have. And so I think a lot of these folks on identity actually have a great catchment point for backing into a specialized primary care model and one that could actually sync quite well with the traditional brick and mortar practice that may not have these specializations, but could certainly find ways of collaborating. Right. Where I see more kind of, where I see more fragmentation being created is when companies are trying to take on everything from end to end, right? Without consideration of what does the in-person experience need to look like. And so mm. the companies that have flipped that model, I look at companies like Tia, for example, that have said, hey, we're gonna actually be everything end to end. And we're yeah. not just gonna use software to redesign the experience, we're actually gonna use brick and mortar. We're gonna build a clinic differently. I don't know if either of you have been to Tia's clinic, but
0: it is no. so awesome. How I've just- seen pictures. I've seen pictures. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing.
2: The intention behind the design, uh, it, it's it's trauma informed. It's it's um it's inclusive. Uh, it, it you feel amazing when you walk in there, and it's and, and so I feel like they're truly a company that represents what it means to integrate, you know, vertically integrate, mm-hmm. but then also. Um, uh, kind of maintain the design principles we all like to talk about in tech, and actually bring that to the real world brick and mortar setting. So I've right. been talking for a long time about this, but it's a passionate topic of mine. Just given what's happening right. here the last couple of years,
1: it's it's very tempting, right? It's very tempting if you're coming in and you're you're kind of. Lo- I always think you're looking for the entry point if you're initiating a company, right? Like you're like you know like like Eugene with your coach, you know Marina are, are saying, okay you know what's the entry point you know where can we add value where can we clear where is the white space like you know do we not have yeah. um, other people doing something similar so so it's so tempting and because the human condition as Eugene was just talking about is so heterogeneous that eventually it comes you know end of one like you know we have one patient or we have one community you know that you could kind of drill it down so it's like okay you know you know, middle-aged American men that live in Ireland, married to Italians <laughs> that have a digital healthcare <laughs> startup need a specific type of healthcare. <laughs> yeah.
0: Listen, yeah. I mean, we're all individuals and unique, right? That's, that's uh, at the end. And then, and this is also always the conundrum of kind of the population health and that personalized health, right? Um, yes, we need to, as a, as you know, country, state, you know, globe managed populations, right? But then at the end of the day, it's N equals one. We, we all have our own challenges. So, hey, um, hey. you know, um, I, I do want to get, I, I know, you know, on one side, we're in control of our own destiny here uh, for up to an hour, <laughs> but, uh, but I you know, I, I do want to get to a couple of things still. Um, I do want to understand for the entrepreneurs that are watching kind of the Bessemer healthcare thesis to to the extent that uh, we can go through that and still maybe some kind of quick hits on uh, your, your medium post on, on payer contracting. So let's start with a thesis real quick for the entrepreneurs out there.
2: Yeah, happy to. Um, so high level broad strokes, we're investing from pre-seed to growth stage in healthcare. So this, this applies to most folks uh, <laughs> in, the, in the venture ecosystem thinking about building in the space. Um, and the way we break down the ecosystem, just as context is thinking really about the stakeholders, right? So consumer, provider, employer, payer, and pharma. And we invest in companies that sell to each of those stakeholders. And I actually find the companies that do best to our prior conversation about these you know, direct-to-consumer or virtual care companies, the companies that do best are those that figure out commercialization opportunities with two or more of those stakeholders. So they, these are just okay. general proxies that we think about, right? Whether it's you know, payer provider, payer pharma, pharma provider, et cetera. Um, So where we're investing, I think, you know, first is general digitization of the industry, nothing groundbreaking here, but EHR adoption eclipsing 90%, uh, you know, very much the uh, Oracle Salesforce moment that we saw in enterprise SaaS, but happening in healthcare. And so what are the applications that can be built on top of that, both from a back office perspective, so thinking about driving workflow improvement, and from a front office office perspective, we use the term front office to really talk about, you know, that virtual care paradigm. one comment on that. What I'd say is, with the virtual care paradigm, and we just, you know, I just waxed poetically about it. I think the defensibility really comes in in, in two flavors, and, and this is what we evaluate in those companies. Uh, one is this: if, if, if it's a if it's a service-based model, is this clinician supply scarce? And 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 the reason I say that is because I, if it's not scarce, then it, 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 there's not anything that's that defensible about what you're building. And it could be a great local business. It could be a great non-venture business, but something about having access to a clinician supply that's in demand is what unlocks opportunity for a lot of companies. And I look at companies like NoCD, right? Mm -hmm. That have one of the largest uh, uh, physician um, panels of folks who are specialized in ERP. And you can back into this by working with those clinicians or upskilling existing clinician resources. Even still though, I think if you have access to, and this is what we talk about a lot internally, even if you have access to a proprietary or scarce clinician skill set, um, if you wanna see more patients, you still have to add more clinicians. There's nothing that scales non-linearly about telemedicine. And yep. so more and more, and I think you see this in, you know, if we're on top of market, you see this in, in, in Teladoc, like you need something that's going to be non-linearly scaling, it could be a product in like what Noom has done. It could be an adjunct that just totally supercharges uh, your workforce, kind of like what Ginger has done with, with mental health coaching. But really looking for stuff that can, for the low acuity patients, uh, uh, achieve that non-linear scale is, is really important when we think about um, care delivery. Um, so that's kind of one bucket. Um, I, th- I think the other two uh, that are notable, you know, really looking at the intersection of computation and medicine and all of the opportunities that affords. We don't need to go into deta- too much detail there yep. because there are many. Um, it sounds like Eugene's been talking about that all morning, but we're spending a lot of time looking at uh, uh, these intersections, really you know, from a from cellular level to the systems level, applying AI uh, to, to drive uh, better outcomes. And then I think the last bucket is value-based care, which has been you know a holy grail of our industry for a long time. It really helps when there's like new regulatory models that come out from CMMI, could be in oncology or nephrology, um, but really thinking about interesting uh, ways to serve populations under risk, and obviously all of the technologies that can enable that. I, f- I feel
1: awesome. like I feel like he's going to take off a mask and like e- a patient Dave is going to show up or something. Like he, you know, you're, wi- you're wise beyond your year your years, Morgan. As I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Cool. Um, no, it's
0: it's it's great, and I, I I love the kind of the three pillars, and I know there's more, but uh, but 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 I like how you also picked it out. Um, let let's get through because I, I I've been kind of saying it. I that's what sort of you know pinged me. Um, you know the challenges, and again, I think Joe from Vasana Health, we had a whole discussion on as um, you know, it's constantly how do you kind of pitch sell to the to these large behemoths? So maybe just in literally a minute or two, kind of your highlights, right? I, We can. Added to our show notes if we were produced. Um, I guess it's just going to be a comment on the YouTube and LinkedIn post <laughs> to, to your medium post from there. But uh, just, yeah, kind of knock it out just like you did before on the thesis.
2: Awesome. Yeah. By the way, I think I thought this was audio only, so I didn't I didn't do my whole thing. But uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll make a video. <laughs> oh, you look great. You
1: look great. You look great. No. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm just messing with you guys. Um, yeah. So I think I think high level, you know, selling to payers, it's really about Telling a story that is believable and one that's believable based in data. Um, and, and doing so really in an intellectually honest way that doesn't overstate or oversell either the importance or impact of your solution, right? So, the recently hosted this session um, where we welcomed payer executives from uh, from IBX um, to talk more about you know, what they're looking for. And, and then actually just hosted a follow up session uh, with, with Dr. Will Schrank from Humana to talk about how to demonstrate clinical outcomes. So that piece will actually be coming out in a week or so. And I think the broad strokes are one, you have to focus on an area the payer cares about that they don't already have an existing infrastructure to serve. It's pretty straightforward to figure out what those are. If you just think about this from like a population health perspective. Um, And and so first of all, it's just working in an area with a large TAM for the payer um, and, and a large area of spend. If you're working in an area where the payer has a large area of spend, but they don't know it yet, it's a little bit harder, but it's likely there's less competition in your space. And, and again, I go back to uh, I look at companies in for example, like in the GI space where yep. costs of GI care often gets buried because there's a long diagnostic journey. So anywhere there's a long diagnostic journey, could be in uh immune yep. disease as well, could be in mental health mental health care. Um, oftentimes the costs get buried in the claims because it's very, very hard to, if to scope for that patient because of et cetera. So you see where we're going. Um, so if you don't have a very clear, uh, if you're not on that priority list, then you kind of got to go to an actuary and, and, and work on another claims data set it may not be the one of the pair you're working with but try to show that story and show those estimated costs in, in a rigorous way. And then, you know, once you've got that bundle that kind of story about Okay, we've got a big space, you know, we think this is a priority you articulate your care model, right? Which in theory is, is value oriented. So you're leveraging advanced practice providers, you're moving key clinical metrics that the payer cares about, whether that's readmission, whether it's A1C levels, et cetera. You're, you're being thoughtful about that, that articulation. And then what I think a lot of companies miss on, and this is what the, the post that is coming out will touch about, which we'll, we'll talk about, is how to then tell the outcomes story. And a lot of digital health companies overstate their outcomes. They go to all ends of the earth to find consultants that will somehow put a golden stamp of approval um, on their outcomes. And ultimately in medicine, the only golden stamp of approval is an RCT. And that's really expensive for an early stage startup to run. And I can guarantee you that most investors don't want all of their venture capital money spent on an RCT. Now there's creative ways to partner, we can about it. But so to wrap this kind of this thinking, when you go to a payer, it's not about saying, hey, you know, we've moved this metric meaningfully and we're gonna do it for your population. No, it's about articulating how are you going to collaborate with them to design a study to actually show that your solution has done what you think it does in a way that doesn't have the bias that so many of these health companies do. For example, uh, comparing a group that in- engaged to one that didn't engage. Those are two- right. separate populations right it's not really right. accurate if you're if you're comparing a, a, a non-engager to an engager because there might be attributes that are just fundamentally different about those two populations that drove those different levels of engagement so this is a long-winded way of saying this post will come out and talk really about what are those studies that you need to run how do you communicate Ooh. them to a chief medical officer what are the limitations of these studies and how do you make sure again you're being intellectually honest in that articulation of what you're what you're building why it's important and the impact that you expect it to have
0: Love awesome
1: it. sounds easy too by the way no
0: check <laughs> check 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 check. it's a checklist it's a checklist
1: i'm going to clip this and send it to my medical team this is very yeah good.
0: exactly <laughs> so, love it. jim we're, uh, we're we're uh you know we're, we're, we're coming out to the uh the hour maybe go back to your famous question um even though i don't know how much further you can have morgan <laughs> rewind back <laughs> so. well yeah
1: so so morgan you're 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 being asked to go to Brown university, you know, after a few more years in the venture capital industry and lots of successes. And you, we just found out you got, you know, great, you got great grades on your medical exam. You know, so that it propelled your career forward. And it, but anyways, you're in this, you're asked to go back to Brown to, um, to kind of host a kind of shark tank style entrepreneurial pitch session. And, you know, this one, Kind of incredibly young, talented um, uh, person comes up to you that you know grew up the the son of you know government workers out of D.C. and he's, he's a spitting image of you, and he's saying, "I'm starting this digital healthcare company, and we're approaching payers with a unique proposition." What advice would you give this young version of yourself?
2: What a good question. Uh, and let me just be clear before I answer, I have not built a company from the ground up. So I often tell founders, you know, take, take this with a grain of salt, I'm, I'm a career investor so far. Um, you know, I would, I would say a couple of things. Um, I think in general, being a good operator means that you are extremely good at prioritizing. So reducing optionality and executing in a very focused way and extremely quick and nimble at making decisions And I think the way that I've thought about this for myself is the difference between being a frequentist versus versus a Bayesian, which if you're familiar um, in statistics is a very simple concept which says, if you're a frequentist, um, you're typically uh, kind of informing a a view based on the past, based on experimental trials and and, and kind of assessing what's happened in the past and using that to inform the future, which which some people really love. There's a huge community out there of frequentists, right? but I, I personally am more of the, of the Bayesian camp, which, which is one that basically trains a belief system based on what we call priors, which are, you know, could in life be prior experiences. Um, and being able to update your beliefs quickly and make decisions with conviction as a founder is probably uh, probably the most important thing you could do. And one thing that really allows you to do it well, I think, is is meeting a lot of people, having a lot of conversations, and consuming as much content as you physically can. That was a piece of advice I got actually when I took a class at the Rhode Island School of Design is consume as much content as you can. That'll inform your priors. It trains those distributions that live in your mind and will allow you to update your belief system. And updating your belief system allows you to make those decisions uh, more swiftly and with more conviction. Um, wow. Wh-
0: what? So wow, first what of all, be- and- why, and, and why do you think Jim and I do this every Wednesday? We try to consume as much content and suck it out of our guests as, as, as we can. Any other parting words, Morgan? Um,
2: you know, I just want to say thank you to both of you. This has been a really fun hour together um, and uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to come on again sometime soon.
1: Awesome. awesome. Well, I'm wishing you the best in your career. I have no doubt that you will don't need it because you're going to be an absolute superstar you know, beyond even what you've already done already. So congrats and good luck on the exam. That's
0: Thanks. right. And for the listeners and viewers, hit subscribe, pass it on and see you next week.